Thinking Liberty, episode 23. Welcome to Thinking Liberty, Liberty. the podcast that explores lifestyles of freedom-minded individuals. Join us as we discuss work, hobbies, health, learning, and more while living a travel-orientated lifestyle. Be curious, be open, be inspired, be free. And now, here are your hosts, Zach and Sarah Varnell. Hey everybody, welcome back to Thinking Liberty. We're here with episode 23, where we're going to have another interview for you coming up. But first, we're coming to you from Ackworth, Georgia, and as always, I'm Zach. And I'm Sarah, and I think the last time that we recorded was uh, when we were in Maine. Yeah, I think up in Acadia National Forest or National Park on Mount Desert Island. Yeah, um, so we definitely really enjoyed our time there, and uh, I'm not sure where we left off, but I really want to go back, so that's definitely on the high priority list for me. Um, But we left there, and we went back to Pennsylvania and spent a lot of time with family and just really focusing on spending some quality time. Um, We always love our stays there, and, um, you know, we get to camp out in my uncle and aunt's backyard, and that's always fun, and getting to see the cousins and getting to visit the grandmother and then going everywhere else, and yeah. Yeah, it was a long haul down to Pennsylvania, but we basically were getting kicked out because everything in Maine was closing. We thought about going to New Hampshire, but everything there was closing. So we just made the trip from Maine to Pennsylvania, which took us like two days of driving in the RV, but then we stayed there for about a month, so. Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, the Northeast gets snow kind of early sometimes, so uh, nobody wants to stay there. Yeah, no one wants to risk me. it. <laughs> I would have risked it, but anyway. But yeah, now we left Pennsylvania and we made another long haul all the way down to Georgia. So we're parked, our RV is parked on Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and we're kind of, you know, ditching the RV for a little bit to come down to Atlanta. We got uh, Sarah has a conference that she'll be speaking at next week, so we're in town for that. And just here to see, you know, family and friends and things like that, too. Yeah, so really, I guess you could say, you know, the last month, month and a half or so has really just been um, us focusing on, you know, work responsibilities and, um, you know, conferences and things like that. And then also um, just a lot of family time. You know, it's just, it's been really good. Um, We've really been trying to strengthen some of our relationships and just focus on you know what really matters at the end of the day so that's what our time's been about but um so our interview today we're interviewing um logan who travels with his family and it's just really cool because we've interviewed several solo travelers and talked about you know the perks and uh, also some of the challenges that go along with traveling by yourself um you know that Zach and I really don't have that much experience with. Um, So it's interesting to hear the other side of it about, you know, traveling with a partner, but not only traveling with a partner, traveling with your children, because that introduces, you know, new challenges, but also new perks and new rewards um, based on exposing them to your interests and your loves and your passions. Um, You know, I definitely would say that it's really important when you're traveling with a partner, it's you know, it can be hard to find somebody that you travel really well with. And so it sounds like he and his wife have a great relationship and um, their children are super lucky to have this experience so young. And um, it'll be cool to see what the future holds for them. And yeah. 
Yeah, when Logan um, approached me about the interview, I was really fascinated by how him and his wife and his 21-month-year-old twins travel. And he said that they would be taking their, or the twins, I guess, would be taking their 25th flight, and they're only 21 months old. And I think um, as of talking to him, he had most recently visited Norway with the whole family. So he's, you know, not just flying domestically, but he's flying internationally with his kids. And he had some cool uh, tips and tricks on how he does that. And then also, we really got into talking about how, you know, he finances his lifestyle and He's an entrepreneur, and he kind of got into some of the things he does there and his philosophy on work. And that felt, you know, that was really fun. I agreed with everything he was saying, and it was nice to find somebody who has the same outlook. Yeah, and he's also working on a book um, that he'll be releasing soon. So we're very much looking forward to reading that and finding out more about his story and his journey. Um, but yeah, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode and this interview as much as we did. I definitely learned a lot. So, all right, so let's go into the interview with Logan Lenz. Hey, Logan, welcome to Thinking Liberty. Um, so, what really got me interested when you contacted me about um, being on the show is that you structure your life. It seems like to make travel a priority. And we'll talk about it more later, but you even have kids, and it doesn't seem to have slowed down your travel at all. So can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, what you told me, how you travel throughout the years, what kind of, uh, you know, structure you have built up to plan for travel throughout the year, things like that? Certainly, and thank you for having me, Zach. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Um, But yeah, certainly travel has been kind of at the forefront of just my everyday uh, we'll call them goals or milestones, things that I work toward, which was kind of just an open lifestyle, right? Something that uh, encouraged freedom and uh, celebrated the diverse nature of, you know, really what life takes us through. And as we grow as people, we should be uh, expanding culturally and expanding our knowledge, not just through skills, but also through awareness of what other people go through. So ever since, you know, I guess college, post-college, really, uh, I've tried to uh, make sure that I've traveled as much as possible and really diversified those uh, types of, you know, excursions or trips, if you call them, uh, you know, whatever they might be, both between internationally and domestic, and just really trying to get the most out of every single um, type of journey. So the way we do it, and I've been with uh, my wife for quite some time, so she's always been my travel partner, is that we kind of focus on a really good uh, domestic trip, like what's a city that we feel is kind of untapped and maybe not the popular trendy ones, but something that uh, is appealing and charming that we can, within like maybe a week, 10 days, do like everything that a local would suggest and more, like almost get the, the taste of what it would be like to live there. And that's what we call kind of traveling right. Uh, so we do that at least once per year. We've been doing that for it's about 12 years now consistently. And then every summer we do a, a really uh, you know, big international trip. And that's run the gamut through continents and really kind of spanned the whole uh, uh, planet at this point. So, um, yes, most recently, maybe I'm you know, talking too much, but we try to do domestic and then international and then partially, you know, kind of like a, we'll call them a 
staycation or a beach type because we're in Florida, something that's in our state that is also somewhat untapped, somewhat, um, you know, I guess that makes us feel like our state is still worthy of our, uh, you know, existence or our place of home. So um, we tend to do that as well as, the you know, the weddings and the bachelor party, like all that stuff really puts us on flights and also business trips puts me on a flight at least once per month, probably on average. And with kids now, uh, we didn't want to uh, interrupt that cadence. And we can get into more of why I wanted to build this lifestyle and what that means to me and why that keeps me going because I'm business oriented first and wanting to build that lifestyle so that I can not obviously not only afford uh, what we're doing with travel, but also um, be able to work almost more efficiently and productively from the road. So that was a long-winded answer to kind of like how we structure uh, the way that we think about travel in our family. The more you talk, the less I have to also. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and that structure seems about the same as what Sarah and I do. It's like we, you know, have these big trips in mind that we take maybe once a year, once just ever, whenever we get a chance. But then, you know, we take every opportunity to see other things in the United States. And then if we happen to be, you know, in our hometown for a while, we still try not to get too complacent and we get out and see things we may not have seen there before. So I really like that. Try to see it as a tourist. Yeah. Uh So how many children do you have and what are their ages? Right. So they are uh, 21-month-old twins. Uh, So... We've taken two big trips. One was most recent that I'm probably going to talk most about if we, you know, kind of hone in on one specific trip. We just went to Norway, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, But, yeah, since I mentioned how often we travel, they've probably been on, I think we counted up to 25 flights. uh, And that is in line with uh, what I mentioned earlier, trying to get on as many flights as possible. And they just kind of come for the ride. Even, I mean, there's been cases where, you know, almost our friends laugh at it, but like where my wife would have a bachelorette party or something and then she wouldn't want to be away from the kids, but it would be in a city that would be, you know, kind of fun. So just for the heck of it, I would go with and we'd go as a family. I'd stay in the hotel, maybe do some tourist things while they, she did what she needed to do, but at least the kids got to experience. I mean, of course, the argument is they're not going to remember. They're so young, but I mean, we just want to bake that into how we live our lives and introduce that to our children early on. So it's just become our normal, uh, you know, way of doing things at this point, which is what I want, want them to live as they grow up as well. So, yeah, I did. I, I did really want to ask about that too, because, um, I don't know, you probably saw it, um, somewhat in the last couple of months, um, some travel or financial website, uh, published an article about traveling with young children and they were making points that because of the time and the money and the stress taking young children that won't remember it um, they were arguing it wasn't really worth it and to kind of save it and I think that sparked a lot of debate in the travel community and I've seen some great articles um, both arguing for and against travel with children um, so I really wanted to get your take on it and it sounds like you know you're just trying to start them young and get their mindset um, open to it early. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really going to depend on the personality types of the parents because, of course, I'll admit that there's times where it's super challenging. I mean, especially on this most recent trip, we're going to Europe. It's almost a 10-hour flight, 
and we have you know almost two-year-olds that have energy and want to run around and to say that you don't feel like you are ruining other people's flights uh, when they kind of need to uh, both run around and or cry or uh, just kind of <laughs> cause a you know disruption uh, especially on like a red-eye flight for example where people are trying to fly, uh, to sleep it's it becomes challenging but you have to work together as a team like being that we have two kids it's great that we can take one each uh, between my wife and I and really understand what needs to be done to uh, make sure that it's okay. But as long as you're cognizant of that in the moment, like I'm very aware of what's going on around me and I want to make sure that I'm not um, disrupting others. Uh, I, you know, will go to the bathroom with them or I'll just do whatever I can uh, to eliminate that immediately and still obviously make sure that the kids are comfortable. But I've heard both arguments. I see both sides, uh, but it's really going to be up to the parents because, of course, those challenges get outweighed by the experience and despite those times when even through the trip like maybe the kids are off because of the time difference like they can't they're not on the same sleep schedule and they're uh really overtired and stuff like that it's uh, a challenge in the moment but then that next day when you get to you know hike up a mountain as a family and enjoy the view then you realize okay you know this the type of people that we are uh rewards this over you know the challenge that we experienced and i think if you can weigh those things correctly and kind of just uh understand uh, the situation you're in i would always vote to travel with the kids so we're going to continue to do it we're going to you know fight through uh, the difficulties that sometimes it causes especially because we have a third child on the way we think about how difficult it's going to be next year like when we have an infant and then you know two-year-olds that we have to get onto a flight uh, that's going to be uh, a new challenge, but we are going to accept it and we're going to do what we can with it. Is there some trick, like a song or a game, that you use to help make the trips or the flights easier for the kids? So we've been fortunate enough to, I guess it translated over where the kids were really good in the car, so they fall asleep pretty easy based on probably the motion. And I, I think that's very polarizing. We're not at all kids are like that. Not all parents get to, you know, experience uh, kids that get to sleep in the car. So when we first tried out the flights, they're obviously super young and it was easier because they slept and they enjoyed the the motion. Um, And then it was most challenging after probably they hit 15 months. That's when they get the energy. That's when they start walking. And then we started to think about what you just asked, like, what is, what's our go-to? And Really, I think, again, the answer is that we've been fortunate where they were behaved and uh, probably not old enough to, like, let's quote-unquote act out. Uh, So this most recent time, we thought maybe just as a last resort, technology would work because they've kind of been on a Moana kick, for example. Uh, So maybe having an iPad and an iPhone kind of preloaded with, you know, clips and songs would be good, but we had a whole aisle to ourselves on the plane and then even when you expose those and you have one holding one of those devices each, they tend to like want to swap and fight over it. And we found, and that was like, let's say the first flight, by the time we wanted to take our return flight, we figured that technology wouldn't be the answer. So really the the tricks are, there's few. I feel like you kind of just console them 
uh, walk around with them because it's more of an energy thing. But we, of course, have some toys, and we have, uh, there's this really cool watercolor book that they like. So we, we'll bust those out. But really, other than that, we try and just get through it based on how they're reacting in the moment, which could be anything. And, you know, it's not one silver bullet that's going to solve that problem, uh, given whatever the scenario is. So it sounds like you have to be really like flexible and on your feet and just ready to make a last minute decision to do whatever will help them. Yeah, and I think another tip would be uh, how you strategize your placement on a flight like that. So like I said earlier, we had a whole aisle on this one and we were just really lucky. But technically, since we have two kids, we can't sit in the same aisle if there's three seats because there's a rule with uh, the you know, the air, the oxygen masks, uh, there needs to be, uh, there's a, basically a, a proportion of masks to people. So we always have to sit in different rows. Uh, what ended up happening is when you can't get the seats that you want and you have to sit in different rows, you end up being too scattered. And for us with two kids, that becomes a big problem because then we're in between a lot of different other, you know, people maybe have to toss a kid to, uh, console because they want mama instead of dad. And then you're, you know, kind of interrupting, like I said earlier, if it's a red-eye flight, maybe someone's sleep. And if you're, especially if you're on the window, think about the problem of getting up. If they have a lot of energy to walk around and you have people sleeping next to you and you can't get to the aisle, then what do you do? So you really have to think about that. And then you also have to understand, we haven't gotten to the point where there are two yet, where we have to, you know, buy a seat and put them in a car seat, which I think would be easier, but we're their lap children. So, at that point, you have no option but to get up, and you can't be confined and stuck where you are. You need to be able to move around. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest tip is try and get to the aisle and leverage the aisle so that they can exert their energy uh, as often as possible. And I don't know if you've planned this far in the future or not. I'm sure you've thought about it a little bit, but do you have any plans for as they get older? Will they just... Um you know, when they get in school, are you going to homeschool so you can keep uh, doing this sort of travel? Or are you just going to kind of base that around their breaks? It's, yeah, How do you so think that's going to go? It's a good question because it's a hot topic around these parts. My wife uh, is a retired teacher. Ever since we had the kids, she hasn't taught, but she's a phenomenal uh, teacher that I feel like I'm strongly in favor of homeschooling. But then we have so many friends uh, with similar age kids that almost uh, think that that's not going to happen for whatever reason, almost like it's not a good idea. So uh, the time hasn't come where we need to uh, decide, but I think we'll kind of have to see how that plays out because there's a whole social component. I mean, I grew up in public schools and I played sports and uh, I was in band and, you know, you obviously meet a lot of friends doing that. So if we can create the same type of social environments uh, while homeschooling, I think that's a good option. But certainly we will be those parents that encourage maybe taking a few days off for extended uh, weekends and they'll miss school and they'll make sure they'll get their homework done. But, uh, you know, if we prioritize travel, then we'll always figure out a way to do it. Yeah, and just anecdotal evidence anyway, Sarah was homeschooled and turned out way better than me. So <laughs> That's not true. I was homeschooled for most of uh, most of school. I think 
the last three years of high school, I went to a public school. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed my experience. I don't know if you guys have questions. I'm happy to answer them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I certainly have heard both sides, and I would love uh, feedback on. It would really be what you take from your experience and what you suggest um, for you know your own children. Let's say because that's really the testament of how profound it was for you, or what you think is the better situation. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we're not at the point yet where we're discussing children, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think it, it'll be, you know, when I have children, um, I'll learn if I have the patience or not to try homeschooling. Um, but my mom was so patient, and so um, she actually went to college for teaching as well. So she had that background, and she'd always worked in childcare, and um, she's just kind of an angel with us, and. Um, really set up a good structure for us that so was good but yeah i don't know yet <laughs> for us right yeah i think it must be one of those case-by-case case things because you know we live in an rv and we travel and during one of our uh stops we met a family who had homeschooled i think they're like seven children or something like that while rving so I know that wouldn't be possible for everybody, but I guess the temperament of them and their kids were just right to where they were able to make it work. Yeah, so that's impressive. We obviously talk about the whole RV thing. Uh, We just kind of haven't uh, pulled the trigger. But uh, as we have more kids, like I said, we have three, uh, a third on the way, uh, we will explore at least maybe experimenting with that via, like, first a trip and then see where that takes us. Because there's really uh, no telling where we'd end up if travel is a priority and we are homeschooling then that means there's no set anchor that we need to establish and if that's true we could do a similar thing we just have to see how the those cards fall yeah finding the right rv um for the number of people and you know what you guys need would be the key thing there you know finding the space to have area for them to study but then also so that each child could have like a little cubby hole that was their own personal space i think that's from what i've been reading is kind of key to making a happy rv home (laughs) absolutely yeah maybe we'll start doing some research then so you also mentioned that, I guess, you were an entrepreneur, and that's how you were able to make all this travel work in both terms of, you know, being flexible enough to take these trips and being able to afford it. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do and, you know, your entrepreneurial experience that way? Yeah, I'll give you kind of the short uh, Reader's Digest version that kind of have, has it make sense, uh, because not everyone does have the uh, flexibility and the freedom to do uh, you know, what I do. And really my mantra over the years has been, uh, make every day different. And it's really cause I strive on diversification, whether that's through, uh, the ventures that I'm a part of or investments, or, uh, just trying to keep every day where I'm on my toes. Right. So, uh, in college I started my first company. It was really a, uh, good timing type of thing where I was uh, starting like a organic marketing social media company before, Social media was really a thing, so we got a lot of contracts with some cool companies doing like blogging and you know Twitter posts, uh, and really made a business out of that. By the time I graduated, scaled that enough to uh, use my own team to develop a few ideas and applications. Uh, you know, sold some of those. Some were successful, some failed, but really that was then the uh, the start of just 
you know, the freedom taking over where I could take a back seat when necessary, uh, do more consulting and mentoring, um, and then really just live that mantra of uh, what project do I want to work on today and making sure that while I tackle everything I need to, that everything is just still exciting for me. So uh, over the last few years, I've been a part of other ventures, but still kind of doing that same thing where I dabble in, uh, you know, a contract with a client, let's say, in the morning, uh, focus on writing uh, in the afternoons, but that will vary every single day. So, yeah, serial entrepreneur just looking for new uh, problems to solve and just keeping my brain fresh, really. So. so is that pretty much anywhere in the IT space? Or are you still in marketing or what's your yeah, yeah, I mean, specialty? So- so my, like my LinkedIn headline is I make websites make money. So I've kind of leveraged that online marketing really from like an organic side, um, you know, as kind of the core of my abilities and take, you know, I take that to businesses that need help uh, monetizing or creating a revenue model uh, and or just looking for, you know, community building or what's their brand voice, right? So yeah, that's really my specialty, but that's also allowed me to you know, dabble in investments and other things that really are just exhaustive throughout business. But like I said, my specialty remains in kind of like the organic digital marketing space. Okay. So do you have any of your own projects where you're doing sort of blogging or social media or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, my own projects kind of get lost in the client projects and that's intentional. I, I want to treat my own projects as if I'm paying myself and can fire myself. And if I'm not doing a good job, I will, you know, pay someone else to do it and or fix whatever I'm doing terribly wrong. So, um, being that they're one and the same, I have a lot of ventures that I'm excited about that I'm, I'm happy to share. Uh, one of which is a auto part uh, technology that sells auto parts online that connects buyers with sellers. So like dismantlers of, uh, let's say, uh, totaled cars, they'll put their inventory up on our uh, marketplace. And then we have a ton of, uh, you know, auto repair shops that really just pick and choose what they need and get that to the customers. It's a great ecosystem. So really bullish on that. Uh, I do blog every day and that's kind of always been a a constant for me, uh, although I'm not super regimented, that's been a part of my regimen uh, where I'll make sure I write. That's kind of like cathartic for me. And I also trade and invest uh, daily. So that is a big uh, a big focus for me currently. And then I have a few big uh, projects, some of which are actually exciting for me and, and, and kind of new because I built a health technology that we're going to market with pretty soon, which is basically like a a benefits administration technology. I don't know if I can drop names of competitors, but if you know like Zenefits or Gusto, like payroll and uh, HR, that's kind of that wheelhouse. Uh, and there's some other minor ones, but that, like I said, diversification is key. So uh, while it sounds like there's a lot on my plate, I am really good at delegating, automating, and uh, kind of figuring out what the goals should be and how to best get them or get to them uh, as efficiently as possible. So right now, do you have employees also? So I've, I used to, and I built a culture that since then that suggests that that's not the way, because I'm kind of a micropreneur, I I call it, which is 
build like a very small uh, business and then either you know outsource or find some team or some specialist that even if it's a consultant that can kind of take that and run with it and those are always going to be a contract basis so uh, I have ventures that do have employees but they're not fully owned by me and the ones that are, are owned by me I don't so hopefully that answers the question okay. so you're used to working with people remotely though Absolutely. I actually um, only encourage that in my writing for any business. And when I do have a consulting gig where it focuses on brand and culture and understanding, like, what's the vision of the company and what's the why, I focus on, you know, what's the, the goal and what's smart work versus making sure someone's just in a physical location where you can micromanage them. That's not the answer. So a lot of what I preach uh, would be based on uh, distributed workforces that are the best people that are fit for certain positions, but also communicate amazingly and openly so that when there's a problem, it doesn't matter that they're not in the same room. So yeah, uh, the, the parts market marketplace, is, we have a remote uh, team there. Uh, we have a WordPress plugin that uh, we built and we... Uh, Although they're freelancers, we make sure that we post on, like, we work remotely and we find the best candidates regardless of their location. And then everything else that I do, obviously, I'm just looking for the best person. So it doesn't matter uh, where they are. And we use tools like Slack and HipChat and uh, Asana and Trello, you name it, just to make sure that we're always staying on pace and hitting our goals. And that's really all that matters if you're doing that then our remote workforce is always going to win. It's less cost. It's uh, most efficient because the customer, the employee happiness is going to be elevated, and that encourages better work and all around a higher quality of life. So my lifestyle, I want to breed onto anyone that I work with, and if they ask me the questions that you're asking me just in conversation, I want to be able to tell them, hey, you can do this too, because I figured out ways that while on the road, you put together your own schedule, you can still get your work done and be super valuable to the company. And if you put that in the forefront, no matter what, like what is my value? And you keep that in top of mind, no matter uh, what time of day it is or what the task is, you're always going to satisfy that employer. So that's uh, you know always something to be reminded of if you're in a distributed team. Yeah, it's really encouraging me, to me to see more people moving to remote work and distributed teams, but it really blows my mind that it's not happening faster because, you know, sometimes I just see these companies where everybody's working in an office or even in a cube farm or something like that, and it doesn't seem very good for morale, and then also it seems completely pointless. I've been to client sites before where we go and we sit in their office, and then we remotely connect to a completely different site. So it's like the only reason for us to be there is so that they can, you know, walk by and see that we're there and feel good about it when we could have gotten the same work done probably more efficiently from our house. So, so, so if you yeah, look at I'm the, on board with everything you were saying. So a little bit about that. If you look at the trend of how remote work has kind of taken over as the standard, not the standard, but like there's startup culture and then there's enterprise, right? And if you look at both curves separately, you'll see that startups have always encouraged it. They've always looked for the best talent and location doesn't really matter. Yes, some of them will prefer, depending on the type of role, 
uh, that that person's there, especially if it's a small team or they're like head down doing scrums and uh, building something like day in day out. That I get that, but the it's definitely a hockey stick of startups encourage it. Uh, but the enterprise side, you saw the trend starting to take over in the last, I would say, seven years probably, where that was becoming somewhat accepted, not just the, um, you know, hire fresh new employees that would be, you know, agnostic of where their location is, but also allowing local uh, workers to call in and say, I'm going to work from home today and having that be no problem whatsoever. So maybe on a Tuesday and Thursday every week, it became normal that they worked from home. Then it was about like a year ago, New York Times posted something and it had like, I don't know, Deloitte and uh, GE and some of the bigger companies that have encouraged what I just mentioned, which is like the few days a week where maybe uh, some of their employees would uh, say, you know, I'm going to work from home and I'll check in, you know, at 12, we'll have our conference call and all that. But basically they used data to say that all those employees were being less productive and it wasn't um, allowing them to be the company that they aspired to be and that they needed the camaraderie and the synergy to be uh, location-based. So they were going to axe that no matter what. Like their policy was going to be, if you call in and you say you're going to work from home, that's a sick day. You're taking a PTO. Sorry, because uh, I guess there was a few stories that was referenced in the article that and it's probably the, the, it's an employee problem, right? Like they called in and said, oh, I'm going to the Hamptons this weekend, so I'm not going to come in on Friday. Like if you have the audacity to actually say that that's what you're doing, you probably shouldn't be working remotely anyway. Uh, so, I mean, now we're seeing a down to, like if I were to poll enterprise companies, it's almost like frowned upon within the last year. At least that's my sentiment. And I guess it probably depends on what area of the country you're in and what type of company you are. Uh, but I think now you're starting to see a closed door on the enterprise where now they want local, but startups are kind of ignoring that and thriving. And I hope to see that that continues to be the trend on remote work. And you know, we'll see where the next two years uh, shake out, but uh, I hope remote continues to kind of be the, uh, the breadwinner in this argument. Yeah, and unfortunately I've heard of some companies even who were distributed teams and then did away with that and said, move to whatever city and start working in the office or you're, you know, let go. So, yeah, it's not, I don't like that trend of it starting to kind of backslide a little bit, but it seems like maybe they were trying to fit the remote work into their existing, you know, sort of enterprise model. And that doesn't really work. I think when you kind of build off remote work and distributed teams and hiring people from all over, to begin with, maybe it works better. And I know at least in um, the company me and Sarah work for, it's in information security. And at times in information security, there's been, you know, like a negative 2% unemployment rate where there are not enough people to fill the jobs. And it doesn't make sense to only pull from people and, you know, the 25 or 50 miles around you, but it makes sense to, you know, reach out all over the U.S. or even all over the world to find the best talent. Yep. And I think what's in line with this conversation, and I told you I built something in the HR space, so I've been doing a lot of research on like what's normal for you know, employee benefits, let's say. Uh, you start to see the startups that encourage remote work are also the ones that really, really celebrate uh, employee satisfaction. And they'll give you know gym membership, pay for cell phones, give 
you know, unlimited PTO even, which is, you know, somewhat now being a polarized discussion. Um, but that's the type of culture that I see thriving uh, because that's the, um, you know, goal-oriented, results-based company that will always look at that versus is that person checking in at 9 a.m. every morning and leaving after 5 and just kind of being, you know, a ghost uh, worker and just because they show their face, that's good enough. So we're going to see how that goes, but I think the ones that are really taking care of their employees with a lot, a lot of benefits are the ones that are going to win the better talent, and I think that's when it's going to topple over. Yeah. So moving on from work, um, you'd mentioned your most recent trip was to Norway. Was that right? Yeah, we just got back a few days ago, so it's really good. So is that the trip that you said that you had some things to talk about? <laughs> well, yeah, of course, it's not only top of mind, but I think because of the, the kids' age, it was the most challenging uh, okay. So we went for about, I think maybe it was 11 days, but, you know, 10 or 11 days, and uh, we basically spanned the whole, I call it the whole country. It obviously wasn't, but uh, we hit the main spots, and that meant we were very active, and that also meant that there was a lot of car time, which meant that the kids might sleep when the parents weren't, and then we were kind of like, it became a challenge on, like, the sleep schedule stuff, but... Um, yeah, it was a, I'm happy to answer questions, but it was a testament to the fact that, you know, we're getting a lot of feedback and questions of, I can't believe you flew, and how did you fly with your kids uh, for a flight that long, and then stay with them in a country where you don't speak, you know, primarily they don't speak English, and really just, like, allowed your life to be there and still remain sane for that long, and... You know, that's the type of stuff that we want to show to other young parents and anybody that aspires to travel that you can do it and just kind of refer to uh, what I mentioned earlier where you just have to overcome the challenge to realize on the other side is your family being together and having these experiences that are, uh, you know, once in a lifetime and that should, you know, celebrate uh, the way that you're building your lifestyle. So. So overall, do you think even with the stress that it was worth it? And would you do it again? Yeah, I mean, you look at it in two different ways when you're in the situation. I think in the moment, depending on how like hot-headed you are, you're, I guess it really doesn't matter. There's going to be a point where you're like, okay, this isn't worth it. But it's in that moment where you're frustrated and it's just there's no answer. There's no solution. And just it's stressed is and you're not getting sleep I and mean, whatever the scenario is it's just not ideal and you're always gonna let that bleed through but then when you think about it and then you experience that next moment that is the complete opposite it becomes worth it so if you can get through those problems and there might be uh, parents that experience those issues in that moment and just say I'm going home like I can't tolerate this this is too much and I think that's what's going to like separate those personality types that can travel and cannot. Because if you have the patience and you're willing to see through to the you know the light at the end of the tunnel, then you're going to feel like. And my answer to the question is that it's always worth it. 
so when you're planning these trips, um, are you kind of looking ahead and trying to pick and uh, select child-friendly activities in advance? Or do you just kind of get there and see what's available and see what's, um, what's open to do? So it's a little bit of both because you want it to be, you know, exciting and kind of you want to roll with the punches. Like if you go into a city where you think based on TripAdvisor and the book that you read to prepare you uh, that you're, you know, you have a certain set of things that you're going to do, but then it becomes like once you're there, just everything feels different. So uh, we did have a plan that's obviously like what spots we're going to hit, what hotels we're staying at, just so that we don't completely... <laughs> you know, go rogue and end up sleeping in the car. Like you have to be obviously prepared and you know mature enough to make sure that you have a place to stay. So we went that far and then kind of let everything else play out, which is you know you get to a spot and then you realize, okay, based on how much we traveled, like were we in the car for a few hours? Did the kids nap? Then you have to decide how to shuffle your t- your day around. And when you have kids, that means what's a park or where is a, a short hike or a trail that we can go to first before we try to eat lunch or try to go to, you know, that attraction where we're going to have to, you know, carry them and they're going to, if they don't have their energy exerted, they're not going to be tired enough to allow us to carry them in, you know, our, you know, little, uh, we have a twin go pack that we wear them on the chest or the back um, just to make sure they're not like falling off cliffs or running away into the street, stuff like that. So um, that becomes a a huge asset to have with as long as you strategize that energy. It's all like an energy equation. Like, do they sleep enough and do they exert their energy? Combine those together to then figure out what the next activity should be. And it's always going to be fluid. It's always going to evolve. Uh, you might end up eating dinner at five just because of the way the day went and didn't go as planned, but you got to, you know, accommodate everybody's emotions in that moment. So it really depended on the day, but certainly we have preparations and plans, but sometimes that, you know, uh, varies and changes. Okay. Yeah. So I've never traveled internationally with children. So if any of my questions seem kind of obvious, I apologize in advance. Um, but would you guys, or have you guys ever um, stayed in hostels with the children, or would that kind of seem um, too risky? Or yeah, I mean, I think we're at the point where you know comfort and uh, I, I, w- I don't want to use the word safety, but like of course, being a family that can. Uh, use Airbnb cost effectively and look for hotels that we know won't fall through. I mean, it's just easier when you do your due diligence ahead of time to pick those things mm-hmm. out. Uh, so that's just always what we end up doing. So we we haven't experienced anything other than, uh, I guess, the difference between an Airbnb and a hotel. So uh, those were our main. I mean, we only stayed like ten nights, but I would say the uh, the percentage breakdown would be. Well, eighty percent Airbnb. I think we only stayed at a hotel two or three nights. So, um, Airbnb becomes a huge, um, you know, uh, tool for uh, like the types of travelers that we've become. Because I feel like you, you know, not only do you look at area and location of that um, specific uh, location, but you also 
look at is that is there the homeowner there can they maybe help us with tips and it's just kind of you know an experience type of thing where you then become a local and you have to consider that as well so no no hostels or anything other than uh airbnbs and hotels do you find that um your kids adapt better or uh have better moods when you're staying in an airbnb because it's more homey or is there a difference versus a hotel it's a good question because I do see myself uh, trying to read, you know, their reactions because every day it's it's not uh, something that they can get used to, right? Like when we're home, we're home and they know what home is. But when you go to a new location every single day and then you say, okay, you're sleeping here, uh, they're not old enough to understand what that means. So just the the fact that it's a new location means that it's somewhat scary. They're not comfortable. Uh, so I don't know if there's a difference between Airbnb and hotel, for example, on the, like, okay, surprise, this is a new place. But really what you end up doing as a parent is kind of like walking through the door, putting them down and letting them just discover, right? Like, what's the, you know, how big or how tall is the couch and can they climb it? Like, and then once they do that and they start to feel like, okay, I, I'm allowed to do this. So this must be a version of home. So then they start feeling comfortable. Uh, so that's really like the best way to do that. Um, and of course, when you look at Airbnbs, you want to see what is, you know, not that there's a hominess factor, but you look at the pictures and you want to make sure that uh, there's nothing that's going to derail uh, the, you know, acceptance of a child's, uh, you know, comfort in a new location. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because um, we've kind of put together a list of things that we always check for in Airbnbs when we stay just for our comfort level. And then we travel with a pet and, you know, they can be kind of fickle with uh, their moods, too. So we always check for certain things. Um, is there tips or, you know, a certain guide that you use when you're looking through the photos of Airbnbs? I mean, I think I should first answer that my wife's way better at booking. So I try and let her do that. So that's probably going to be the most important component to my answer. Uh, but second, secondly, I would just say that we obviously leverage uh, the reviews and the feedback. And then just, like I said before, I think it's like a, a hominess thing where does it feel like there's enough sunlight and you just kind of like have the lounging or sitting by the fire vibe, depending on obviously where you are, but like where you can see us there and it just looks comfortable. I mean, I think that's the grading scale we're using as long as the reviews and the location uh, makes sense. Um, so did you notice that your kids also experienced any jet lag or was that something because of their age, it didn't really affect them that much or maybe it affected them more? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on how you look at jet lag because I know there's different measurements of, okay, it's just like the the sleep schedule being off or like the effect it has on, you know, grogginess and just like your ability to think. And of course you can't measure those things in children, but you certainly do see them being completely off schedule. And that's probably the biggest hurdle as the trip plays out is that maybe they're not sleeping in the hours that they're uh, used to. And because of that, the timeline that we laid out for all the daily activities then goes awry and you have to, kind of then pick and choose your battles where maybe they're waking up way earlier than they were at home because their internal clocks are different. 
and thus we need to start our days earlier and maybe the hotel breakfast isn't open at 5 a.m. So what does that mean if we have to check out that early? Where do we go? What do we do? And that really just then dictates how the days go. But that's the biggest thing that you observe as a parent is you just got to have to, you have to accommodate uh, the way that it affects really like the sleep behaviors uh, throughout the day and really the energy preservation as well. Okay. And, uh, how does that, you know, how does it make it easier or more stressful, um, you know, with you guys also having jet lag and they have jet lag? Um, are there any, like, relaxation things that you guys use to help or uh, just working together as a team? With- yeah, I mean, it's not, there's not something that we go out of our, of our way to do just because I feel like our agendas to make sure that we see, for example, like all of Norway on this trip uh, you're always on the go, so you don't have time to, you know, kind of think outside the box or do something that isn't the activities that you wanted to do anyway. And I think that's probably the best solution and remedy is that you still just have to let them adapt because it is almost um, uh, it's unavoidable in a lot of ways. They're they're just always going to be somewhat off, given that there's a time difference and just a different place and that comfort needs to slowly evolve and I would say that by like the seventh or eighth day it became better right like it's going to slowly get better and I think it's a challenge but I think that's the only way to do it like did I not get as much sleep on the trip than I do at home I would say yes but it's only because you're thinking about the ways that you need to accommodate the difference in your own uh, timeline and how really the kids take precedence and if their schedules are different then maybe I can't stay up till 12 to you know check email right like it's at midnight so uh like that type of stuff you find yourself balancing and accommodating the kids so I don't know it's a it's a different and difficult uh thing to balance but you kind of have to just go with it did the daylight in Norway make any difference? Like, did you have any of those days where it's light until like 10 o'clock at night or anything like that? No, I think it was somewhat normal. I think it's maybe the time of year, but, uh, yeah, I mean, at like seven or eight, it got dark and it was always light when we, well, that's not true. Sometimes we woke up at like five and of course it was still dark, but it was somewhat normal, uh, like normal, uh, as far as the, the daylight during the days. So, uh, that wasn't a part of the issue at all. Yeah. So it's good to keep in mind too, that, you know, when you're traveling, if you're, you know, worried about that sort of thing, just look at what time of year you're going and try to pick a normal time frame for your kids too. I'm sure that made it a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, have you ever, in any of your travels, um, have you ever been in a situation where there was an experience or um, adventure that you and your wife really wanted to try uh, but wasn't child-friendly? I mean, would you or have you ever had to consider finding a babysitter where you were or anything like that? I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, I don't think there was ever an activity where we can't wear them into I mean I'm trying to think of a place where we'd want to go because we do a lot of outdoor stuff and like hiking of course you can always just put them on your back and regardless of how old they are as long as they're light enough to carry uh, and just do stuff like that and that's always been the the stuff that we've focused on 
rather than anything that uh, would disallow them. But I think the two things that come to mind is probably because it's the most recent trip is that you have to look for uh, restaurants and like where to eat that will not only uh, not be a distraction to like if it's like a fine dining establishment, you don't want to ruin the experience of the, you know, the other, um, uh, consumers. So it becomes a, often an obstacle to figure out where, you know, locally is a good kid friendly food establishment, uh, as well as, um, you know, kind of like what you do throughout the day that, is going to be where can they can they walk or can we wear them? And I think that's something you have to. I don't know. Read we read a lot of reviews, really. But the first, the other thing that comes to mind, or something that we weren't able to do, is really just because of our own abilities, and we tried to do go on a really exhausting hike, and we weren't able to accommodate uh, the entire hike. But it's partially because of my wife's pregnancy, as well as we had the kids on us and backpacks. And we didn't realize how uh, difficult the hike was. So we've never actually turned back from a hike uh, like that. So I think that was one example where we tried to do something, and whether it was the kids or just our own uh, inabilities, uh, we weren't able to do the things that we wanted to do. But like generally, like to span the rant answer into, or just like to condense it into one simple thing, it would be. That I think every th- everything that you'd want to do is accepting of children. You just have to understand the surroundings and be aware that you're not ruining other people's experiences. And that's the part that I think weighs heavily most on, on me, at least. So it sounds like you guys are really, you know, conscientious of where you're going and what you're doing and uh, planning things that are good for your kids and um, it will help them to really enjoy their experiences but also so that you're considerate of other people who might be on vacation or having a nice evening out Um, does it ever like frustrate you when you guys are being super conscientious but then you go out somewhere and other families might not be yeah I mean you'll always get looks but I think the overall percentage of the ones that are accepting, and that might be like a family that's sitting next to you at the table over uh, that smile and that like kind of play peekaboo with the kids, like that always trumps the few that might like under their breath say like kids shouldn't be here or something like that. And we've had both, but we always end up having great conversations and smiles from the ones that, you know, not only think our kids are cute, but also might even get into a conversation of, that's really cool that you're from the States and uh, you're traveling with the kids. That's amazing. And we've gone on hikes where we shouldn't have been able to do uh, the hike even on our own. And we wore the kids and we got to the top and people are celebrating the fact that we're not only traveling and doing this with the kids, but that the kids get to say that they were atop this mountain and they like accomplished that hike. And that's again, what you go back to as a parent of why you want to do this in the first place. So, yeah. So, does it seem like the kids enjoyed this last trip, or is it maybe still a little too young to be able to tell that sort of thing? Well, I think you have to measure that kind of by day and also by behavior as the moments happen. And I think the easier one to to measure would be, like, in the moments, how many times are they 
smiling or being exposed to a new thing and then getting excited about it. Like uh, my son, actually both of them love cars and boats and trains, anything that moves really. And we went on you know, a boat ride and we obviously are in a car a lot uh, throughout the day and they get to look out to the other cars and uh, we went on a train. So like in those moments you see so many smiles and they're just so excited and that's again what drives you to making sure that you continue to do this as a family. Um, and then you also measure the fact that when you get home, you know, they're going back to the, you know the standard daily routine and they're starting to, you almost get to read the fact that maybe they liked uh, going to a new place every day and not that they're going to be, um, you know, post-vacation uh, depressed, but, you know, you kind of feel like they were starting to get into the routine and now they are home and they probably don't understand it, but they might be a little bit uh, confused and upset that they're not going on as many adventures, right? So... So I'm sure that you working for yourself and remote work makes it way easier to not only travel, but to spend time with your family. And you said that you were uh, good at delegating too. So I'm sure that plays a huge role, but do you have any other tips and tricks just for anybody who may, you know, be working or owning their own business to help free up time just to spend with the family rather than having to focus on work so much? Yeah, I think it starts with your own self-awareness. You need to know what your strengths are. And I'll plug a friend's company uh, that I got into recently. Uh, and maybe you know about it because uh, they're starting to get really, really popular. But uh, Panda Planner has been a huge asset for me in my life because I've always kind of been a to-do list guy. And then I would make sure that the night before I focused on what's the goal of the day and then what are the tasks to make sure I reach the goal. And the Panda Planner is like a whole different structure. It's basically a physical notebook where it lists out like what are your... It actually makes sure that you feel fulfillment first and foremost. So you list out what are you grateful for and you have to be like remind yourself of that every single day by writing in it. But then you specify what are your goals, what are the tasks, and you actually lay out rather than like relying on Google Calendar, for example, you write out and you remind yourself of the things you need to focus on. So that's... One of my biggest tricks now is that even though I've changed the way that I structure my days, because I used to be a to-do list guy and I used to be an Asana guy, there was even a time where I used to be an Inbox Zero guy where I would put all my tasks into automated emails and then only focus on my inbox, which now that I think back to it is probably not the best thing to do for me, but I think there's personality types that uh, you know do that really well. But for me, like fulfillment and self-awareness and knowing like what I need to prioritize, what I need to think about and be very cognizant of what's most important. And Panda Planner is like the uh, like manifestation of that thought into an actual book, and it allows me to uh, truly understand what needs to get done. And I don't know. So that's been a central component recently, so it's top of mind, and I love what they're doing, so I'm happy to uh, plug them because I think everyone should try it out. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, leverage the abilities of others. I mean, depending on what you're working on, if you're in a big company, it's a little harder. But if you're doing your own thing, you know, actually talk to people. Tell people your idea. Tell people what you're working on. Don't, like, be that guy that wants to keep that closed because the more conversations you have, even though you think they're stealing your idea, they're not. They just want to help you. 
and the more you ask for help, like the art of asking is so undermined and not taken advantage of as much as it needs to be, but have those conversations so that others can help. And then if you have the ability to it, to do it, you know, pay people that are better than you at certain things uh, to do the things that uh, they will do to allow your business to be more successful. It's really not that difficult, uh, but you need to focus on what you need to do first and then work outward from there and make sure other people are doing what they are most valuable and to benefit you and vice versa. Like, how can you benefit others as well? Should all, always be a part of the equation. All right. So looking back over all your years of travel, do you have any maybe best experiences and worst experiences that you could share? Wow. Um, <laughs> or just anything see. that comes to mind, really. Just any good stories to share with us? I mean, there's always a... It's always a funny story to tell uh, friends when they ask, because, of course, everyone calls us, like, the traveling uh, couple, and I think there's a lot of uh, friends that go to us when they say they're looking to travel and do, like, a big trip, and they ask for, like, where would you go, because you have experiences. And the story that always comes up after trips, it's not necessarily, like, a, a bad or... I mean, it's certainly not a good thing, but... There's always the, because we rent cars, of course, the are we going to find a gas station uh, stories because we've run on empty like more times than you think. And there's one story in New Zealand that is just, it's hilarious. It's probably not that great through like podcasts, but in the moment and then in person, we tell the story that we, I mean, we passed more sheep than you can imagine and no humans within like a few hours because it was just so remote and we found like this one uh, it's not it wasn't even a gas station like I had to almost like chug my way to stop next to it and it was almost like a gas tank that I figured out how to pay for it was just such a strange experience and I only got like enough gas to then get to like a city uh, but those moments are ex- insanely uh, stressful and nerve-wracking when you feel like because what happens if you, we do run out of gas? Like, our cell phones aren't working. Maybe not. Like, these are a few years ago when we didn't have international plans. And there's no one driving by. So, like, what happens then? Am I going to have to run and, like, leave my wife in a, an abandoned car and get help? Like, that thought crosses through your mind too often for that to probably be the horror story that I would tell most. And it gets more hilarious if, you know, like I said, we're in person, uh, you know, sharing a beer or whatever. But uh, I think the best experiences are, I don't know, I mean, doing the things that you know others, like, aspire to do, but um, doing them in a way that actually celebrates that moment i mean when i say we do a play like when we went to norway for example we did every single stop and we wanted to make sure we did all the cities and we weren't just like going to a city and then doing that one tourist thing and saying hey we experienced oslo i mean we would go to the you know local favorites and we walk the almost the whole city as much as possible and we do it hard and therefore we can come back with the experiences and the recommendations that actually are meaningful Whereas I feel like the norm is to just go and then maybe they 
have a good hotel and, you know, these travelers just experience the bare minimums. And I mean, I think that's the best part is just entrenching yourself into, you know, the local scene and truly getting the full experience. It's always going to be, you know, what I strive to do. Yeah. Yeah. With the gas thing, I think we get especially spoiled, like you living in Florida and then we're from Georgia where, you know, you can be on the interstate and like every exit will have a gas station and then when you get into other parts of the country and especially other parts of the world, that's just not the case at all. But we're not really yeah. used to that type of thinking. Absolutely. It's it's a strange thought. And the other component to that is that, especially in a foreign car, I don't know how to read the the actual like gauge, like the odometer. And, it, and that becomes a problem because there's not necessarily like mileage trackers or percentages. And then that New Zealand story, there was like four blocks, like quarterly uh grades of how much gas you have so when you got to that final block how am i to know if it's completely empty or that we have 25 percent left oh yeah so like mm. that, that became part of the issue and we were on that last block for oh my like way longer than we should have been for sure so what sort of advice would you have for somebody who maybe at this point has a conventional job or and has kids and wants to travel more and they're ready to start making changes to work towards something like working remotely and having the flexibility to travel what would you tell somebody like that to get started yeah when i when i get asked that i really try to focus on fulfillment first self-awareness is also a part of the equation but really like value of a person and if you want freedom it's going to have to be dictated by your employer unfortunately and if you're not going to uh, look at that long term like there's obviously the people that get employed throughout their life and that's fine you can have flexibility and be fulfilled working for somebody because they have a great culture I mean there's tons of companies that can fulfill you there's that's there's no problem with that but like something like side hustle and that whole movement of what do you do after hours so that you don't want to be employed for very long? Like that's something I'm really uh, passionate about where find your niche. Like what are you exceptional at? And even just look at your everyday life and everyday conversations. What do people ask you for? Like what are you an expert in? All that stuff. Start a blog. Start doing something today that will then allow you to work toward slowly pushing that employment out if that's your goal and then building that freedom and flexibility and there's so many components to it but you know building a side hustle and really focusing on what needs to get done so that you can reach that as a as a goal is like that's starting today and i use the example of like you know if you are just a music whiz and you know everything about music and people ask you for you know music uh, recommendations like think about how to monetize that you are actually becoming like a Spotify in your brain and people pay for that for you know, many reasons other than just recommendations. But like when you have that conversation with the human, you're obviously not going to ask them for money, but like think about then what businesses can be worked around that expertise. And there's so many and you, you see a lot of people taking advantage of uh, the low barriers of entry to starting a business. And I think people just need to realize that starting today is probably the thing that they need to uh, remind themselves of um, because there are no barriers in, uh, excuse me, to entry and 
truly the, the internet allows us to uh, do what we need to do to get to that point. So if your goal is to have a flexibility and work remotely and do your own thing, do it today. I mean, I think starting your own website, for example, and then letting conversations play out based on like who you are is the best way to do that. And that starts with you know, Facebook posts and just like having your own voice. And maybe you talk about politics. Maybe you talk about um, you know fast food. It doesn't really matter, but you'll slowly become a conversation point, and then there's a way to monetize that later on. So, yeah, I mean, I could talk for hours about all that, but um, it really depends on what you are good at, too. There's certain job types that don't lend themselves to the ability to be flexible. Uh, so for those people, you really need to capitalize on the vacation time that you're given. And that would just mean make a list of where you want to travel to, and slowly think about, you know, the rest of your life, nailing that bucket list over time. You have to be a little more patient, but do it right. If you have two weeks off, don't call in sick throughout the year just because you have a slight headache because you realize that that day is then going to be eaten from or taken from your vacation time. So you need to, you know, make that sacrifice and just do those two weeks right. Or maybe do, you know, there's even the trick I see a lot of people do where, They'll work extra prior to vacation, and they'll try and elongate their trip, or they'll take a sabbatical. And if you have the ability to do that, as long as you know where you're going and you take those uh, journeys seriously and you plan them out correctly, you can, you know, get a good taste of uh, you know this lifestyle, and then you know kind of pivot from there of what you want to turn your life into. Yeah, awesome. I think that's all really good advice. And a lot of that we've uh, heard individually from other people we've interviewed, too, where we've interviewed people who have taken sabbaticals, interviewed people who try to pack all their work into three weeks so that they can take the last week of the month off. And then, of course, people who are capitalizing on their expertise and trying to, you know, make some money for travel that way. So I think definitely covered a lot there. And there's something for everybody, probably. Um, yeah, and, and there's a good book uh, Chris Gillibo wrote called Side Hustle. That's why I use that term. Uh, that I think if anybody's kind of locked into a job that either they love or they feel like they cannot get out of, uh, he has good tips on how to start a kind of after the fact, after the uh, nine to five, uh, you know, lifestyle job, so that you can make not only side income but maybe turn that into something full time. Cool. So, uh, just to wrap up, do you have any sort of, you know, projects or social media or anything you would like to plug? Uh, well, I'm at Logan Lens pretty much everywhere on the web because I think there's only like one other Logan Lens in the world, and I'm always the first adopter of all uh, the spots. So you can find me there. I'm also loganlens.com. I'm very accepting of any questions and feedback. Uh, so if you have any reason to contact me or pitch me on anything, uh, you can go to the website or just email me. I'm loganlens at gmail.com. It's not hard to figure out. Uh, and then as for what I'm working on, I mean, I'm just going to keep uh, trucking along on some of these ventures, but there is something I'm going to unveil pretty soon with uh, HR technology, as well as I've been writing a lot, and there is an imminent uh, book being released, which I'll probably... Uh, digress a bit here to not mention too much of but just be on the lookout for that maybe i'll even 
come back on the show, depending on how, because we might be like six months out, I don't know, but certainly I'd uh, want to talk about some of those things, because it's going to be about fulfillment and being valuable to others. So a lot of the stuff we talk yeah, about Yeah, that'd today. be great. Yeah, please let us but, know when uh, it comes out. Yeah, so we just kind of closed the deal on it, and there's just a lot of content. It's just going to be a hell of a, a process trying to organize it and put it into something that is enjoyable for people to read. So before we go, is there anything that we didn't ask that you want to get out there? No, I mean, I think this is certainly a good uh, conversation, almost exhaustive on some of the the, you know, the key elements to especially traveling with kids. But I think, I mean, I'm sure you mentioned it a lot on your um, show and I would be um, somewhat um, remiss to not just emphasize how much travel can change you. Like I just came back from Norway and the inspiration, like the levels of like just clean slate, clear mind, uh, like just, it just changes. It's almost indescribable in a way. And that's why I'm kind of like struggling to say it, but, uh, you become a different person almost. And I think I'll leave it at that. And it just makes my work a lot better. And it makes me have a different perspective on the way I do things. And I think as I compound different journeys throughout my life, I'm going to be 50. And then that feeling is going to be so amplified that I can't even imagine how I'm going to feel. So I mean, I think that's really the reason we travel and the reason we talk about stuff like this. So if you don't get to experience it and or you don't even feel this feeling, maybe I'm doing something different. I'm happy to talk about it. But like, that's really why we do this. And I think that's uh, it's an amazing feeling. So that's it. Yeah, that is so true. All right. Well, I guess that's all the questions we had for you. Thanks again so much for joining. And yeah, like you said, whenever your book comes out or it's you know ready to come out, just let us know. We'll either you know have to have you back on to talk about it and talk about the subject of the book, or at very least just announce it to everybody. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd appreciate that. I'll certainly let you know, and I'll send you guys copies, of course, uh, depending on where you are in the world at that time. Cool. Oh, that's too kind. <laughs> All right, so I hope everybody enjoyed that interview with Logan Lenz and learned a thing or two. I know I did. I loved hearing about his entrepreneurship and his philosophy on work. And, you know, I loved hearing about how extensively he's traveled with his kids and, you know, getting tips and tricks on that. Um, So be sure to follow Logan and, you know, reach out and contact him or read his blogs, any of that good stuff on loganlens.com. And I think he also said he was at Logan Lens on basically everything. So you can find him on Twitter and Facebook, all that good stuff. Um, and while you're at it, be sure to give Thinking Liberty a like and a follow over there. So we are at ListenTL on both Facebook and Twitter. So be sure to look us up there. And then there'll be some information in the show notes page. Maybe you heard something during the interview and you weren't really sure what it was or you didn't quite catch it. And you can find all that at thinkingliberty.com slash 23. That's where all the show notes will be. And while you're there, be sure to make sure you're subscribed to the show. We have links in the sidebar there to subscribe on whatever platform you could possibly want to listen to this show on. So be sure to check that out. And I guess that's it for this week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Thinking Liberty.
gravity. Subscribe to the show for free on iTunes, Google Play or Stitcher at thinkingliberty.com. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, articles by Zach and Sarah and more. We'll see you next time.